So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection Now with your hosts, Jean Victoria Norlock and Rico Shields, bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody to this edition of Everyday Connection Now. I'm Richard O'Shields, and just a little bit to my north, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I'm snowed in. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably a good thing to be snowed in, because apparently when you're snowed out, you're hanging on the edge. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Craziest thing. Apparently, though, yeah. For for those for those of our listeners listeners who actually follow my Facebook feed, they would have seen my lovely pictures of my car hanging off the edge of a cliff, which is kind of cool um, that it didn't actually go all the way over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The oddity to that whole experience is that the car was actually parked when it got sucked in. I was a good girl. I was pulling out of my um, vocal coach's driveway. And before I got on the highway, I was on her little mini side road in this little settlement area off the highway. And before I got back on the highway, I pulled over to check my messages before I got on the highway because you shouldn't drive and check anything on your phone. Um, So I pulled over and as I was pulling out, um, the car just decided to slip right into the ditch because what the plow had done was plow past the edge of the road. So I was actually parked on soft snow. On air. Well, yeah, a little snow. On air, yeah, soft snow. And so as soon as I tried to pull out, it sucked me down and away I went. And sat there, almost upside down. (laughs) But it didn't roll, thank goodness. No damage to me, no damage to the car. All's well that ends well. So if you've ever been... You must go in the ditch. That's the best way to do it. That's the best way to do it. Slow motion. <laughs> yeah. It actually all happened in a flash. It just seemed slow motion to her, so that's the... No, it, it no, happened it, it slow really motion. It really was slow motion. It, it and, really and, happened slow motion. And I, like, I, I had ample time to sit there and feel myself tilting very slowly and look down at the passenger window and see the snow coming closer. And I had time to consciously think, you know, okay, I'm not going to roll over. I'm not going to roll over. I'm not going to I had time to repeat that three or four times before it actually stopped sliding. <laughs> and by the time it stopped, the wheels were just hanging off the edge of the road. Yeah, because I, it, it, well, it's it's obvious, it's apparent to me from the pictures, having been around some snow and automobiles, because had you been actually moving and slid off the road, you definitely would have flipped. You'd have been rolled over. I would have been in trouble. I and, would have been in real trouble. Yeah, and absolutely. probably rolled over with snow up, you know, 
past That's the windows thing. and if, buried in if the snow. If it had rolled, because the way I got out was getting out through the passenger door. So, again, I'm lucky that it didn't roll over on top of me when I was getting out of the car. Um, and I got out of the car and was waist deep in snow. So had I rolled over, I wouldn't have been able to get out of the car because the top end of my car would have been buried in, in the snow. So it's, I mean, if, if it has to happen, um, I, really? I was being it looked out for in a, in a big way that day because <laughs> it could have gone wrong in so many different ways. But it George didn't, just pushed it back just a little and hung the tire right on the yeah. edge of the I got very, very lucky, very lucky. But if if any of you down here in the warmer United States are wondering, you see snow plows don't plow it off of the side of the road. They just sort of put it on the wing of the road there. That's why. It's because they don't want to create a false ledge for anybody to be located on. And... Uh, it's also been an interesting day for communications today. I don't know if anybody's ever, you know, has mentioned lately that it's Mercury retrograde, but um, tis that. And um, so we've been having the communication challenges all day long, um, and we're having another one now. Apparently, <clears throat> let's see. Hi there. <laughs> Has anybody mentioned that it's Mercury retrograde, or I'm just curious? I mean, ser seriously, right? The communicate. Well, granted, we do have a, a an, an insane amount of snow here right now, so my satellite might be covered. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not getting up on the roof. Certainly tonight. not going to climb out there and look. <laughs> uh, no, that's not permitted. <sighs> It's totally cool. That's all right. We got you back like this, and, you know, if the yeah. Skype comes back, we may try that again. There's other technology available on hand. It's not yeah. lovely. That's it. Technology is a wonderful thing. It is. When it works. I mean, it, no, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, well, we had that, miraculous stuff, and then we also have, uh, people may have seen in the news about Central African Republic. They're having a little... Uh, clash down there. Of course, they have been for over a year. And um, uh, a Muslim group had taken over and was intimidating and otherwise mistreating the Christians. And now the Christians have taken it back and they're doing the exact same thing back uh, to the Muslims. And uh, so there's a church, uh, nice Christian church, well, parish well, place, but it's now full of 650 Muslims who the parish priest is sheltering from the other Christians. And Which, uh, which we've seen in the past. We've seen in the past where, where Christians have, have, have created circles to protect Muslims while they're praying. So, yeah. you know, just, and in today's energy, that's not so far of a stretch. But And it the, the, the real stretch for me, the real celebration for me was what the what the man said, because the reporter talked to some of the kids, and they're like, you know, well, the Muslims have to get out of the country, and if they don't, we'll kill them all, because it just doesn't work for us, and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, then comes a little father, Fagaba, uh, who said, <clears throat> shall I quote? 
And I quote? Absolutely. Yeah, quote. The Muslims discovered in our church that the God we worship is the same as their God, said Father Fagba. And that's the vision the whole of this country needs to have. We, can sh- we should consider them as our brothers. What happens here gives me a certain conviction. It gives me one, too. Indeed. Absolutely. And, and it, you know, I, that's, wow, how times are changing, right? Like, that's just more evidence. It's, it's coming in daily from around the world, more evidence that times have, not are changing, they have changed. Absolutely, and um, uh, it, it it is things like that where people are like, okay, look, it's you know the God we worship is the same God they worship. Get in here and you quit shooting at them. Hey, cut that out. Um, because it is about inclusion uh, and not separation and. Uh, uh, Heaven knows that that fellow that was running around, they named the religion after. He was relatively inclusive, people. <clears throat> but um but we you know, we don't want to get up on the soapbox too much. Uh nope. but uh, it actually relates right on in there with uh, uh our guests tonight can have something to say about that I should imagine. So we might just move right on that direction. Awesome. Shall we? Absolutely. We have with us a uh, another radio host who uh, can uh, sympathize with us when we have inter- uh, you know our radio difficulties. I don't know. No, I didn't say anything about that. Um, and uh, but radio host and author uh, and uh, speaker Karen Tate. Welcome, Karen. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I enjoyed. Uh, hearing that story, uh, because yes, absolutely, <clears throat> oneness and inclusion, tolerance, all of those things, uh, we we need it in uh, more abundant supply these days. <laughs> absolutely. And, and it surprises me how often it is that we need those things to fix things that were caused because we didn't have those things. But I'm, I'm, I imagine we're going to get there uh, before the end of the evening. But um, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Karen, the big question of the night. It's it's not too hard. You've been studying Drum roll. For, for all your life, so it should be okay. Who on okay. earth are you, and what do you do? I'm sorry. I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Could... <laughs> Who on earth are you, and what do you do? Who on earth am I, and what do I do? Okay, um, well, I started out um, I started out in the Bible Belt. Uh, I grew up my, most of my life in New Orleans. I grew up a Catholic, and, um, you know, I had my grandma who, uh, you know, had her, uh, had her Mary statues in the garden and altars to Mary in the house, and went to Catholic school as a as a, a young girl and sometimes got picked to put the you know wreath on Mary's head at you know in some of the feast days and things and um and then I moved to California and uh I discovered you know there's a little bit more to the story 
than what people talked about in the South, you know, in the Bible Belt. And I discovered that um, there was a feminine face of God, and that sort of just uh, took me down a whole new path, you know, beyond Mary. Uh, you know, took me back 30,000, 40,000 years to, uh, you know, when humanity was actually worshiping a female face of God, when there was no male face of God. I started traveling to sacred sites, probably across five different continents, going to these sacred sites, some you know, ancient traditions, some still living traditions. And uh, it was pretty profound for me. You know, it, it changed my life. You know, I realized that uh, I'd spent the first three decades without knowing the whole story. And um, it was a slippery slope from then, from then on, you know. Um, there's so much to the story. I, I'm not really sure which direction you want me to go. <laughs> well, see, there was our first well, synchronicity if it was a slippery slope. <clears throat> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, I think in this case, we need you to go wherever your heart thinks it's best to go because this sounds like a very intricate, interwoven journey that you've taken. And okay. the the journey to the divine feminine is never a straight path. Okay. Well, fair enough. You just promise that if you know, if I start to ramble or go on too long you interrupt me and um and break in and so, um, so I Five come to California. Thank you. Um, I come to California. I discovered there's a feminine face of God. Um, I have to be honest with you. I got really angry because I felt duped. You know, I I started to realize that you know what had been kept from me, what had been swept beneath the rug, and although Catholicism never really got its hooks in me, um, now I was angry, you know, and for a while I really had a problem even thinking about Jesus or thinking about Mary. I just sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater. And, um, you know, I, I sort of rethought that after a while, but, you know, in the beginning it, it was just the Abrahamic religions, I'm done with them, you know. Um, all of this patriarchy, all this exploitation of women, this marginalization of women, I'm, I'm just done, you know, because the God that I would embrace um, would not marginalize, you know, the other gender on the planet, the other gender he created, you know. Um, and, and, you know, and, and then I started to realize that, uh, you know, it was man-made dogma that had divorced God and goddess, you know. I think of them sometimes uh, when I when I think in terms of uh, God as deity rather than archetype or ideal, I think of God and goddess sitting up there in the cloud in their rocking chairs, just sort of scratching their heads, saying, "Why did our kids divorce us? You know, this is this is crazy." And you know, when they're sort of holding hands, looking at one another, and you know, when the love sort of uh, envelops them, and uh, you know, they just can't figure out why. Uh, goddess got kicked to the curb. So, you know, uh, 
so I'm I'm on this journey of discovering a feminine face of God all around the world, uh, going to sacred sites where it really became visceral. You know, I realized it wasn't a feminist fantasy. This was real. You know, the proof is in the archaeological sites. It's in the artifacts in the museums. It's in the textiles. Uh, it's undeniable. And I think when a, when a woman discovers that there was a feminine face of God, it changes her. You know, she's no longer willing to be subservient to um, male-dominated anything, you know, male-dominated authority, male-dominated politics, uh, male dominate, you know, a male dominated marriage. And yes, um, I'm glad you went there. Say again? That's, that's definitely. I I said yes, indeed, and I'm glad you went there because that's definitely something that a lot of women who go down that path have to deal with, because yeah, they suddenly yeah. realize that they're in a relationship that that doesn't resonate with their spirit. Yeah, and how yeah, do you deal and, with that? Uh, and, and they devalue themselves and they uh, allow themselves to be marginalized, to be subservient, to, I mean, and it runs the gamut from everything from, uh, you know, the husband makes all the decisions to uh, maybe or maybe not you can work outside the house to maybe or maybe not you have a voice in, you know, when you have sex or if you have children, maybe or maybe not you get beat up and are a victim of domestic violence. Uh, I mean, it really runs the gamut. Maybe or maybe not you can be a leader in your church. Um, you know, I mean, you really start to see uh, what women have lost because the feminine face of God got swept beneath the rug. I mean, I really do believe that there is a direct link to losing goddess. 30 or 40,000 years ago, and the fact that women today still have uh, or, or, you know, suffer from vaginal mutilations, uh, making 77 cents on the dollar, uh, infanticide, um, you know, there's only 22% of women in Congress, academia, corporate America, you know, in the top leadership positions. It's all connected. You know, it's all connected because you start to understand that myth, our mythology shapes our culture. And if our mythology has only been a male guide, then we end up with male leadership. And then we have a male-dominated society, patriarchy, rule of the father. And, you know, in some cultures that literally means that the father, the, the man, have the life and death of their families, their servants, in their hands, you know. I mean, it was the, in the 19th century, it was being debated if women had souls. Women only got the vote in 1920, I think. Believe it or not, in Turkey, women were voting before they were here in the United States. You know, and I just saw within the last six months a Republican on television saying women should never have gotten a vote. <laughs> So um, it's really pretty incredible uh, that that this these ideas are still uh, very much alive, you know. I, and I can't help but think that if Elizabeth Warren or Hillary Clinton run for president, just like we've seen the ugliness of racism really rear its head, I think we're going to really see the ugliness of sexism 
come to the fore like we've probably never seen it in our lifetimes. So, um, Absolutely. So yes, I would agree. And I would, I would, while we're on the topic, um, and before you get much further, I would also argue that it has been detrimental to the well-being of the males in our society as well. This loss oh, of the divine feminine. Very much so. Absolutely, and I'm so glad um, they've you said that. suffered a great deal because of this, and it's such a blessing to me doing what I do that I get to work daily with fully conscious men who are aware both of their masculinity and of their femininity and do not run and hide from that, regardless of what society says is okay or not okay. And I think right. that it empowers them to be a whole being as opposed to just what society expects from them. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I do believe they have suffered too. You know, just like women have not been able to be their authentic self, you know, like Jimmy Carter leaving the church because of the sexism, saying women have not been able to reach their full potential because of the sin of sexism. Men too have been forced into these little boxes, you know. I mean, we all know, you know, if a man is sensitive, if he relates to his feminine side, you know, then he's effeminate, he's weak, he's, you know, he's gay, he's called all sorts of ugly names. Um, you know, and, and I think more and more uh, leaders out there, scholars, visionaries, men, you know, they're talking about needing new role models, and they do. You know, they need role models beyond uh, the dominator, beyond the warrior. You know, they need role models as nurturers, role models <clears throat> as protectors. You know, it has to be okay for them to, you know, relate to their feminine side so that they can be whole. And for heaven's sake, you know, maybe it's been stressful for men to have the burden of everything on their shoulders too. Wouldn't, wouldn't they like to have partnership with a woman, you know, partnership with, you know, their mate, whoever it is, so that they can shoulder the burdens and, and rather than, you know, have to be the only one out there that's making the decisions and, you know, leading the way. I, that must get pretty lonely, and I would think that's probably pretty stressful too. Well, I'm certain that it is. I would think absolutely. Um, I mean, maybe you can speak to that, you know. Well, uh, my father had an executive-type job, and um, people would say something, particularly if it was one of his grandchildren, might say something about what an incredible success he was, and, you know, you're my hero, and all this kind of stuff. And the first thing that he would point out was always that, the only way he was able to focus at work and do what the things that he did was because he never had to give a moment's thought to home or children because he knew that my mother had that handled. Now, yes, they were in traditional gender roles, but he made it very clear that, that what she did was an equal part of that, you know, he couldn't do what he did without her doing what she did, and vice versa, that it was a, a, an equal path. Well, and I think, you know, that expression, the power behind the throne, in a way, you know. Uh, you know, he was a success. She enabled him to be a success. Absolutely, and, you know, it, because was, you can't focus. She's a big part of it. 
You yeah. can't focus like that on one thing and, like, stay healthy and alive <laughs> if somebody's not yeah. reminding you that you, you know, bath and clothes are clean, put that, take that, clean that, don't put that there. You can't because you don't, yeah. you don't know those things, and you also don't have to, uh, you don't have to take up any of your, your focus with that. Um, right. And uh, I, whether those roles are are appropriate, no matter which who had the which gender had the roles, if they, you can't do both, is what he was saying and to the degree mm-hmm. that he was able to to do. And um, uh, I always thought it was grand that he would almost correct people to point that out to him. That that's wonderful. You know, it, it, and it makes me think, I, I interviewed Hannah Rosen uh, on my show, and uh, she had this book out with a, with a very provocative title. The publisher insisted. It was called The End of Men. And, uh, and it wasn't that she was saying we no longer needed men or that men were dying off. What she was saying was that relationships are starting to change and genders you know, or having relationships are more like a seesaw, you know, especially in the, in the economy the way it is today. You know, sometimes it might be the woman out in the workforce with the man staying home, and sometimes it's the man out in the workforce and the woman staying home. Sometimes the woman's making more money. Sometimes the man's making more money. It's that up, up and down, up and down, up and down that some couples are actually enjoying and thriving with because it gives both of them a chance to play both roles. Because I would imagine your grandfather maybe had some regret that he didn't get a chance to, you know, be at home more, maybe be with the kids more, um, you know, be more the nurturer. Uh, I mean, it feels like to me if he was aware enough to always make sure his wife got oh, that yeah. credit, then he he probably felt like he missed a lot. Yeah, he was uh, – dad was always – thrilled with the time that he got to spend with his with his grandchildren because he didn't get to spend as much with us his his kids as he would have preferred uh, he worked he traveled he was he he worked from you know he left the house at seven in the morning and he got home maybe seven in the evening and um and he lived about two minutes drive from the office so it wasn't a commute that did it um and um and he generally brought work home so he was largely absent from our lives, and so he uh, uh, did his best to make up for it, I think, with the grandkids and the great-grandkids. Uh, but yeah. uh, but it, was, it was quite a unique position at the time. There were a lot of his quote-unquote peers and contemporaries that, you know, would have told you that a wife was as disposable as shoes. And, uh, and he, uh, he didn't have any patience for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and um, and and I think what what has also happened out there is what women have contributed to society has been devalued, has been overlooked, um, and and economically it's problematic because whether we're talking about women who only make seventy seven cents on the dollar, that can make a difference in her lifetime of half a million dollars. You know, um, it's like 400 and I think, I don't know, $460,000 less she will make in her lifetime simply because 
of her genitals, you know, uh, she, because she's, she's not a man. And, you know, so there's, there's that part of it. But, you know, there's also, you know, the aspect that, uh, you know, staying, I mean, Leanne Eisler talks about this. You know, people who have to stay home and take care of the kids, stay home and take care of the elderly parents. We need to start thinking about restructuring society so that work is valued, so that, you know, maybe there's a way that people who do that still get Social Security or something like that. You know, we need to have that conversation because otherwise that's cheap free labor that has no security at the end of the road, if you know what I mean. It's it's uh, um, unpaid and totally devalued in society. And what kind of family values is that, really, when you think about it? So it um, is. So, yeah, we live you know, in a really a really weird time um, because, and, and I I get this firsthand doing what I do. My husband is a trucker. And so I work from home, and he's gone five days out of every seven. So it's me and the kids, and I'm running this house out in the middle of the bush, pretty much, <laughs> by myself, me and the kids. And um, what I find really odd from the older members of his family is that they seem to think that on top of running the house and taking care of the kids, I should be earning a decent income as well. But it's okay for him to go out and work, earn his pay, and then come home, take two days off, do nothing, and that's expected. But yeah, it's also for job. some weird you reason. <laughs> it's, it's for, it's, yeah, for some weird reason, it's expected for me to, to bring in an income and run the house. Just not from him, certainly. Not That's not his yeah, way no. of looking at it at all. But the older, yeah, no, he's... <laughs> but but he, he, yeah, he takes great you offense. should go outside the house. He takes great house. offense you know, to their their view on this. Yeah, and if, if you and they, did, they believe- if you did, and they came, then the house wouldn't be clean enough because you know right. you take too much time away for your. It it can't. It's almost like in this in the society climate that dominated for so long that it just wasn't you. You couldn't if you were a woman, you lost already. Yeah, you, you can't win. win. You couldn't there's do a, yeah, you couldn't do it well enough or enough of it or nothing I can do to satisfy their expectations. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I I talk to women quite quite often. In fact, you know, some of the women who have I don't I don't know if you've spoken to uh, people who are uh, within the evangelical dominionist uh, groups. You know, some women I've talked to who have escaped. And, you know, they've talked to me on my show about uh, what, what you've just described. Um, and and on, on top of that, you know, they are expected to bake bread and, you know, grow crops and bring in money from a job and have, you know, multiple children. In fact, you know, their job is to bear children. So even when it gets to the point where um, it's not safe for them to have children anymore, the the, the you know the line that they're fed is well you know you'll you'll die a martyr for Christ you know i mean it's really incredible the the attitude that's out there about women um and and we need to shed light on it i i really think women especially have to hear that you know what this isn't okay 
that um, it hasn't always been this way. You know, women have been revered. We have just allowed it to be this way. And women have to get to the point where they say, you know what, I've had enough. And I'm going to walk away from that kind of a relationship or I'm not going to get in that kind of relationship to begin with. And, you know, even if they're telling me that from the pulpit or they're telling me that, you know, or the politicians are telling me that or my family is telling me that, you know, we women have to understand that they deserve better. You know, we have been indoctrinated, brainwashed to be the cheap labor, to be exploited because, you know, the female sex has been devalued, you know, marginalized. And I believe it all goes back to male God, male-dominated society, and, you know, every, you know, the species, the planet, and the female gender are here to serve men. And, you know, sometimes when people hear me say this, I mean, I'll, like Facebook people, for instance, you know, I get these Facebook replies, oh, you must be on welfare, you must be an angry lesbian. I say, no, I've worked my entire life, and I am married to a wonderful man for the last 30 years. I am just trying to shed light on the fact that there are horrible inequities and injustices out there, and we need to evolve. <laughs> you know, we, we can't sustain... Um, humanity on the planet under these conditions and especially especially when you think about here in the United States women are 53% of the population why in the heck are we tolerating this why you know and I think it goes back to religion you know religion so influences our lives and we have to be able to say, no, it's wrong. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh-uh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, did have, I, I did have a friend pull, pull a Bible quote out at me one time about, you know, in defense of the man taking care of the woman and being responsible for the household. And, and, and a, a long-winded discussion, I'm going to say borderline argument did ensue because I am a very strong independent woman and thankfully my husband now is super supportive of my view on equality in fact he loves it he thinks it's great Um, but I've run into over the years several people who who would disagree strongly with my views and and there's some circles you just don't want to drop the words divine feminine because oh yeah yeah let me go get a steak so I can burn you yeah yeah I mean look absolutely I um I have I have listeners who email me and say Karen I have to listen to you um you know all alone practically in the closet I, I, but you're my lifeline, you know. I, I, I so love all of the guests and the ideas that you bring to me, but I can't possibly share it with anybody I know um, because this is taboo, you know. This is taboo, and I'm trapped, you know. I'm trapped, and thank goodness for the Internet, you know. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, but things are changing, you know. I really do believe things are changing. Uh, but I think, you know, women have to really stop being complicit in their own oppression. And sometimes 
when we um, run into women like you just described, um, I think they fall into different categories. I think sometimes they're just brainwashed and don't know any better. You know, they don't understand that the Bible is man-made dogma. And, you know, they don't understand this whole idea about mythology shapes culture and society and blah, 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 you know. Um, They just haven't had enough education. Also, too, I think you have the the type of woman, and I'm I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental here, but I just observe, you know, I've observed it. They are happier taking a back seat, not having any responsibility. You know, they're happy being taken care of, you know, until maybe the husband decides he wants a newer model, and then they're stuck, you know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a complicated subject, you know, and, and I think also, too, economics plays into it. You know, a woman gets married, maybe she didn't quite know what it was going to be, and before you know it, she's got a couple kids, and she can't leave the guy because she can't afford to. Um, you know, it, it gets complicated. It, it really does. It, it really does. It's, it's not a simple subject. Oh, not by any stretch. Not by any stretch of the imagination, no. And certainly um, a, a midlife, a, a sudden awareness in midlife can can be at first very devastating to your life as you've been living it. Well, and, and, you know, and I, I think um, this idea of the sacred feminine is actually creeping up all over, you know. And sometimes it might not be labeled the sacred feminine. Um, I mean, like when I go out and talk about these subjects, you know, often I'll talk about the sacred feminine as deity, as archetype or ideal. And, you know, some people will have ideals of the sacred feminine and they don't even know their ideals of the sacred feminine, you know. But I but you start to realize when you have these conversations that yes, we can be allies because we our worldview is very much the same. You know, we, we want to see the same sort of, you know, values um, you know, in society. And um, you know, I talk a lot about how the sacred feminine is you know, it used to be Christianity was thought of as liberation theology. You know, Christianity will set you free. Well, there was a time when Christianity was, uh, you know, was about, you know, freeing the slaves, you know, and I'm not talking about just African Americans. I'm like going back to Rome, you know, freeing the slaves, and it was about uplifting the poor. And, and you know, and some Christians are still about that, you know. I mean, they still are. But then, you know, you... You know, you, you you have all of these different stripes of of Christians, and you know, you also have the ones that say, "Oh, well, you know, I'm I'm rich because that was a a blessing from God." And people who are poor, well, they're just lazy. You know, they haven't pulled their you know they haven't pulled themselves up from their bootstraps. But you know, maybe they didn't even have any bootstraps. Um, so you know. It, it, I, I, I'm starting to, you know, that's why my new book that's, that's out, you know, God is Calling, uh, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. I know it's a mouthful, but it's, I'm trying to show people how ideals of the sacred feminine really is um, a theology of freedom, you know, 
um, freedom for women, freedom for workers. You know, it's basically freedom from oppression, uh, freedom from, um, you know, this dominator a society, this predator capitalism, this, um, you, know, you know, the politics and religion that, um, that exploit, you know, that uh, marginalizes certain groups, or, you know, the divisiveness, the intolerance, um, you know, and, and, and I, I think the sacred feminine spirituality is really the new liberation theology. You know, it's about, uh, you know, it's about environmentalism, you know, taking care of the earth. It's about, you know, caring and sharing, you know, rather than the I and the me, you know. Um, I, I really do think it's about... I find it interesting that our um, exposure to and our, our rediscovery of some of the indigenous wisdoms um, mm-hmm. from not just the the Native Americans, but from around the world, have really helped this come to the forefront. Because in most indigenous cultures, it it, it is a partnership, and and both the masculine and the feminine is celebrated as a whole. Yeah, as a whole, um, and and we're learning a lot from that as well. And it and even if you go back to the core roots of Christianity, and and some of the some of the texts that have been discovered. And some of the things that have been brought to light, there's there's insight there into at at the root, at the birth of Christianity, women did play a different role than we've been taught to believe they played. Right, right, it, absolutely. I mean, there's a great um, there's a great show that the BBC made. Uh, they were showing it on public television here in Los Angeles. If your listeners you know, look for it. If you have TiVo or something, you know, put it in the memory and maybe they'll find it. It's called Divine Women. And it's a three-parter. And the first part tells about goddess, you know, that goddess has been around for, you know, you know 30,000 years. The second part is about um, the women, the women who have shaped religion in the world, not just the pagan priestesses who worshipped goddess, but the women who you know, helped shape the Abrahamic religions as well. Um, and, I mean, look, let's face it, you know, it depends on how far back you want to go. Christianity is based on Judaism, and in Judaism, God had a wife. You know, even conservative biblical archaeologists, you know, are, are getting to the point where they can't deny it anymore. You know, the Canaanites who were... Uh, you know, part of that whole, you know, uh, you know that, that mix of people in the beginning, they, you know, they were worshiping goddesses. You know, Asherah, you know, Asherah is, was mentioned in the temple. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is if people take responsibility for their own education and don't just sort of, you know, swallow the whole enchilada, so to speak, from... Uh, these people who have an agenda and having you think, you know, that um, it's always been a male-dominated society, it should stay a male-dominated society, there's only a male face of God. All you have to do is do a little homework, you know. Go to a museum, you know, really uh, read the history. Even, well, maybe even read your own Bible 
instead of but but you know how people are you know they they spout fox news talking points they spout bible quotes like your friend you were mentioning and they never really do the work and the critical thinking to go back and find more context and and the whole story you know um so Absolutely. yeah I, it's it's very easy to to verbally duplicate the rhetoric that somebody else has has delivered into your mind, um, it, but it's it's extremely difficult to have the courage. And and this is one of the things that we talk about often on the show that going out and exploring the true roots of of your belief system, whatever that may be, be it you know if you're Muslim, Christian, I, I really it doesn't matter to me what you believe and what your roots are, but going beyond what you have been taught and searching for the roots of that belief system and, and learning as much as you can about it can only strengthen your faith. It's not going to rob you of your faith. It's going to, to instill in you a stronger, more personal faith. But people are afraid that they're going to they're going to be robbed of their faith, that they're going to hear or learn something that's going to, to take that which they rely on for strength away from them. And I yeah. can understand yeah. that. But I would encourage people to 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 know that, that you your connection to God for lack of a better word, because that's what we're going to use today, I guess, for the word, your connection to God, it can't be severed. It can never be taken from you. That's right, because let's face it, you don't need religion to have a connection to God or goddess. You know, I mean, the whole, you know, this, this idea that you need a priest or a rabbi or a minister at the front of the room facilitating that connection you know, that's just about organized religion, you know. You don't really need that. And, um, and, and I think, you know, and, and I don't, I, you know, pagans will tell you that all the time. You know, I mean, you, you create your own connection to the divine. So, so what does it matter if you find out the organized, you know, organized religion has duped you, has lied to you, um, has marginalized you? You can throw that out the window if you want and still have your connection to God, you know. Um, and, and but, you know, but I understand that's not easy. You know, I, I've spoken to Mormons who say, you know, they don't, you know, they've gotten to the point where they don't believe anymore, but, you know, everybody around them is a Mormon and it's, it's not just religious, it's social, it's, you know, everybody in their family is that, you know, uh, you know believes a certain way, so it's, um, it, you know, they, they have, they want to belong, you know, and, you know, we're creatures, you know, you know, we're creatures that want to belong to something, you know, we, and, uh, I, and I think sometimes we, I hate to say it, but maybe sometimes we sacrifice our integrity in some cases, you know, to belong, you know, we have to wear blinders a little bit, we, um, in order to belong, because I think Absolutely. sometimes when people, find out the real history, um, sometimes it, it, it can be a little off-putting. You know, it can be uncomfortable because maybe when you look, 
you find out you've been lied to or you find out it wasn't what you thought and then you know then you sort of have a crisis of faith but you're right it never takes away your connection to god it's just your connection to maybe this institution that has been spouting the dogma you know and you know you you don't necessarily need the institution to keep keep your connection viable Absolutely not. I agree with you a hundred percent. Couldn't agree with you more. And but I do, I do understand on a very personal level how difficult it is because I took that journey because I was raised first in a Catholic home and then my mother, God rest her soul and bless her for her strength, left the Catholic Church because they wouldn't allow her to marry the man that she loved because he didn't have an annulment. Um, and so. We were no longer Catholic, but we still remained Christian. So I was still raised mm-hmm. in a Christian. So to come out of out of that and then to begin this search for truth, to follow the Mary trail, so to speak, um, <clears throat> was life-altering for me. But yeah. something I held on to, to from very early age is, is my mom would teach me everything that she had been taught. She, you know, this is, this is, she would insist that I would learn the Bible and that I go to church and all of these good things. But then every once in a while she'd whisper to me, but don't let them tell you that she was a prostitute because she wasn't. That's right. a lie. Yeah. And you'll figure yeah, it out quietly, someday. Yeah. yeah. They quietly came out, you know, it, it, you know uh, and, and corrected that, but it wasn't on the front page, was it? <laughs> you no, know, you still no. have a lot of people who believe that, you know. Um, it, which, which brings up another interesting subject. Um, you know, a lot of the goddesses just ended up passing their attributes on to Mary. It's like they sort of passed a baton to Mary. But poor Mary, you know, and when I say Mary, I'm talking about Jesus' mother. Poor Mary was never allowed to be a whole woman, you know. It's no. almost as if if you merged Mary with Mary Magdalene, you might you get closer to a whole woman. You know, because poor Mary, she couldn't be a sexual being, you know. Um, They had to have this immaculate conception uh, because of, you know, these crazy ideas about sex suddenly being dirty. We go from sex being sacred and women being sacred and, you know, women revered as life givers to, um, you know, sex being a, a horrible thing and you're born with original sin and all of this stuff. You know all of this crazy man-made dogma stuff, and absolutely, um, it's that's exactly it. It's like they took a whole woman, divided her up into two parts, and said, "We expect you to be her, and you to not yeah. be her." And and you see, that's I think the power of the ancient goddesses, because you know patriarchy tolerates Mary because she's kind of this benign energy. She has no sex. She's sort of obedient. She's this intercessor between, you know, you and God. You know, she serves her role. But, you know, you wouldn't think of her necessarily as a powerful or uppity woman, would you? You know, she's, you know, she's, she's safe. You know, she's not going to make waves. You know, she's that kind of female energy where the ancient goddesses are a whole other story. You know, these are powerful goddesses unto themselves. You know, they, um, 
you know, they, uh, you know, and most, you know, a lot of their stories, they don't even have a consort. You know, they're they're independent. You know, you, uh, I, I, you know, you think of Kali, you think of the Morgan, you think of uh, Isis, you think of um, Sekhmet, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess, which so many women use as a role model for female empowerment today, because. You know, she's, she's, she tells women, you know, set your boundaries. You know, be strong, be tenacious, be courageous. Uh, yes, you can be a mother. Yes, you can be a healer. But yes, you can be a warrioress too. You know, that's different than what we know about Mary, you know. And, and I, I think because the ancient goddesses were too powerful, you know, they were about life and death. They held life and death in their hands, you know. We, we call them, you know, archetypes from womb to tomb because they were about nature. They were about the cycles of life. Um, you know, they literally held life and death in their hands. They, you know, they provided everything we needed to sustain ourselves. Poor Mary just sort of pales in comparison. But that's the kind of female that patriarchy is safe with you know they're safe with the maiden you know the nubile sex sexy little kitten you know they're safe with the mother who gives and gives and gives and gives till she can't give anymore they don't have any room for the wise woman you know when when you're old throw you away you're useless and you know but women today are, are saying you know there's more to women than maiden there's more to women than mother there's more to women than old crone you know women are starting to talk about another uh, archetype in a woman's life some of them call it the queen you know and that's when you know a woman has birthed her children and they're out of the nest and you know now she's out there you know um, taking all of that experience that she has acquired in her life and she's a force to be reckoned with now you know and you know she she um, has confidence she has autonomy she can be whatever she wants to be and she doesn't have to take care of children anymore and maybe she isn't necessarily taking care of a husband anymore either you know she's the one out there you know maybe brokering the deals that change the world you know and that's the you know that's the part of the, of the feminine that patriarchy, I think, is the most afraid of. You know, that's what they don't want women to become because it's it's just way too powerful. You know, they don't want that equality. You know, they don't want women to have that um, ability to control their lives. You know, why do you think we're seeing this stuff on television? about, you know, they don't want women to have access to abortion. They don't want women to have access to contraception. Because if a woman, a woman has access to both, then she can control her education. She can control her economic life. She can control how many children she has or doesn't have. She is in control of her life. Simply by virtue, you know, of the fact that we are the life givers, we are the ones that can become pregnant, you know, we, if we give up that control, then all we are are servants. You know, we are servants to our body. We're servants to our husbands. We are servants to religion. And, you know, that's just going on way too long. You know, women have to be able to control their own lives. Absolutely, I agree. Amen. And um, it, it's, almost, it's almost break time, but 
before we go to break, I just want to say, you know, like you mentioned, times are changing, and I think that our greatest asset, our greatest companion um, in our in our journey to to get our power back and find and restore the balance is these men who are are really fighting alongside us because there are absolutely I, I've spoken to so many balanced men out there who who are are fighting the good fight alongside those women who it, who are, are standing up to empower women absolutely yeah we couldn't love them we more. need them we need those men we need them in we partnership do. with us you know we need them to collaborate with us. We absolutely need them desperately, absolutely. Absolutely, because it's not about us knocking the men off their pedestal and then, you know, we're going to take over and you guys are going to be down there and we'll tell you what to do. The truth of the matter is it needs to be a partnership. We need our men in our lives. That's why nature created them. Yeah, Absolutely. we want the men in our lives. We really do. But we, you know what? But, but we want to clarify. You know, we don't have time for these Neanderthal men anymore. We want these nope. aware men who get it and don't want to relegate Absolutely. us to, I know you've heard that expression, barefoot and pregnant. You know, those days are gone. And the men who still think like that, well, you know, they're not the future. They can go too. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty anti-survival, frankly. So they must well go. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned break time. It must be break time, I would think. And so she's America she's Walking. She's America Walking. Yeah, I was going to say. I can't imagine playing anything else. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be our friend Ina B. again with uh, her song, She's a Miracle Walking. And uh, we'll be right back with lots more, so stay with us, folks.
listening to Everyday Connection on the Flow Cooperative, an entirely new stream on the scene. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Again, that was our friend Ina V with her song, She's a Miracle Walking. We hope you'll drop by her web chat, website and check out some of the stuff she's doing. Web chat, that's site and check out all it. A toy boat? Is that what we're supposed to say when we can't talk? At enavie.com. It's E-N-A-V-I-E.com. And see what she's doing over there. It's cool stuff. Indeed. It is. And he disappeared. Where did you go, Rick? (laughs) Oh, I'm here. I thought I had... I thought I had misplaced a small canine for a moment, but here she comes. Oh, there she goes. So we're back with our guest, and um, I wow, you know, with you, there's so much to talk about. So I'm gonna just let you pick off up where you left off, so to speak, and go wherever okay. you feel you should go because you. Okay. I like listening to well, you. Oh well, thank you. Engaging. Thank you. It's 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 been a pleasure chatting with with uh, you guys as well. Well, I I mean I think we were talking about partnership, and um, it that uh, made me um, start thinking about this new documentary that's out that I was lucky enough to be a part of. Um, it's called Fem uh, Women Healing the World, and um, your listeners can find it. They can uh, they can Google Fem the movie F E M M E the movie, and uh, it was uh, executive produced by Sharon Stone the actor and um, the uh, and uh, Emmanuel Atier, uh an incredible French guy uh, who really gets it. You know, he's one of these men that we were talking about. Um, you know, he took him three years. He went all around the world interviewing women. Um, about the stuff we've been talking about. And it's a brave documentary because uh, he touches all the bases. You know, he talks about that there was goddess in the beginning, and he talks about the damage of religion, and he talks about the damage patriarchy has done men. You know, the, uh, we talked about that too. And, but in the end, you know, he talks about, you know, women have to... Um, find love and compassion and mercy to forgive men and women and men together in partnership have to reshape the world because we can't continue the way we're going. You know, we're, um, you know, we're destroying our natural resources. I mean, I've been watching on the news about all of these rivers that have been polluted uh, with this coal ash. We had the, you know, the the problem with the in the Gulf of Mexico those uh, you know there are dead spots in the Gulf of Mexico where things can't even live you know I mean we don't hear about this in the news you know because it's corporate controlled media and it's corporations making money polluting the environment fracking the earth um, it anyway. You know, it, it, and let's face it, it's corporations making money off a of war. I mean, war is about making money for somebody, exploiting, you know, one group to make money for another group. I mean, they may dress it up, I think, as something else, but it's all about, you know, privatizing war. 
uh, and uh, just like we privatize prisons now. It, it's just really gotten to the point where it's too much about the corporations, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's not enough about our quality of life, about what we were really here to do, you know. We aren't, he- we aren't put on this earth to be consumers, for heaven's sake, you know. I think we are put on this earth to learn who we are and learn how the universe works and, you know, connect with the source and, you know, find our bliss, our most authentic self to be the best human beings that we can be. And what does patriarchy and capitalism have us doing? Buying things, buying things, buying things, going into debt, you know, um, and don't even get me started on income inequality, you know. So anyway, this documentary um, I would really encourage listeners to look for it. Um, it can either be you can either watch it streaming, you can download it uh, in a few uh, months or a few weeks. I forget now. Uh, you'll be able to actually get copies of DVDs if you're interested. You can find it from my website, KarenTate.com. If you just you know, when you go to the first page, if you scroll down a little bit, there's icons there that you can click on. You know, I said earlier about how we have to take responsibility for our own education. This is an hour and 20 minutes that really sort of encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about, you know. And um, it should be in everyone's library. I would love to see it shown at schools, um, have a movie night with it, and talk about it with your girlfriends and your guy friends. Um, it's just so important because there's so much at stake right now. I mean, it feels that way to me. You know, it, it really does. It, sometimes it feels like we're sort of at the tip of a knife and we can kind of fall either way. You know, we can, can, you know, can get worse and worse with this oppression and income inequality and, you know, we'll be, uh, you know, at the mercy of corporations even more than we are. Day, or if enough aware people, you know, band together in solidarity, then you know maybe we can shift things and get things going in a better direction, you know, for the most of us. And um, I think that's what the sacred feminine is about. I think the sacred feminine, for lack of a better term, you know, sacred feminine is about the 99%, not so much the 1%. You know, sacred feminine is about uplifting women and workers. Uh, you know, it's about taking care of the planet. It's about, you know, making sure the have-nots have something. And, um, you know, I think it's about shifting our thinking so that we stop being, you know, complicit in our own demise. Um, you know, there's nothing that makes me crazier than to turn on Fox News, and I can't actually do it anymore, you know, but when I have... You know, to hear the stuff that spews out of there, the hate, the divisiveness, you know, how people are being brainwashed into vote against, voting against their economic interests, um, we just have so much work to do. And, um, you know, if you know nothing about this at all, you know, um, FAM, the documentary, is a great place to start. Um, and if I can be so brazen as to recommend my own books, um, my my newest uh, that's just coming out now. It can be pre-ordered uh, on Amazon or any of the online booksellers or your local bookstore. It's called Goddess Calling: um, Inspirational Messages 
and meditations of sacred feminine liberation theology. And it's a result of uh, my being invited to go around, going around to temples and churches and uh, private groups and college groups and just an assortment of different people who would have me come give talks. And somebody said one day, well, you know, you should put all of these talks in one place. And that's what I did. That's the messages part, the inspirational messages of sacred feminine liberation theology. And then the meditations is the other half of the book. Um, it sort of helps you get into a mindset to make that direct connection with the divine, like we talked about earlier, you know, um, you know, to, to learn to go within, to find that, you know, your, that divine spark. And, um, but without and the use of an so intermediary. Powerful. Absolutely. I mean, no one needs an intermediary. No one. You know, I mean, I, I, I hate to, I, I'm not priest bashing or rabbi bashing or anything like that, but that's, a, you know, they have a business. That's, you know, they, they are in the business of religion, but people don't need them to have a, a strong connection with, with spirit, you know. And it's, uh, I, it's, I think when it's people... going to be a, a long adjustment for people because, Let's face it, um, a large part of our societal workforce is based on leadership. So, yeah. I mean, these, these people have held positions of power for a very long time. So it's going to be a very big adjustment for people. What do you do, what do, you do when there's nobody left to teach if you're a teacher? What do you do well, if no, there's I... nobody left to lead if you're a leader? Um, but I think that the transition is, is happening so slowly and so smoothly that at the end of the day, it's just going to be a bunch of people living on a planet who are following their passion and having a great time doing it. And, and that's I, the beauty of it. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you're right, but I think it's also about shared leadership. You know, I think that's what we have to learn more of. It's about, you know, um, e uh, there's one scholar, she calls it equalitarian relationships, equality or egalitarian relationships. You know, um, we don't have to have one person at the front of the room. You know, we all bring something to the table. You know, it's it's sort of like we, you know, we, you know, um, we, you know, we we don't have to have that that necessary. I mean, of of course, there's always going to be situations where, you know, someone has to you know facilitate things. You know, otherwise it's chaos. You know, right. But, I, I, but I, more of us, more of us, I think, are being called to put on a mantle of leadership. You know, to to um, to do whatever it is we were called to do in the world. To have that courage to step up. We don't have to be perfect at it. You know, there's such a thing as on the job training. You know, but we can't be sheeple anymore. You know, we can't just. You know, stay in our safe little boxes, be told what to do, what to think, because you know what? That's only going to keep us being that hamster on the wheel, a victim of predator capitalism, you know, uh, listening to the people who um, are getting us to vote against our economic interests, buy things we don't need, get ourselves into debt, um, you know, not really have a good quality of life, 
you know, have values that are upside down. I mean, imagine, think about this. Imagine if we all went back to the idea of thinking about the we and the us instead of the I and the me, you know, I the oppressor, you know, I am going to exploit all of you because I am the one that matters. I am the entitled one. And, you know, we go to this this way of thinking where it's the us and the we. We take care of one another. We share. We nurture each other. Women in particular, women stop competing with one another. We empower one another, you know. Imagine how different the world would be. What if we measured our value on this planet by what we give to other people, you know, whether it be our talent, whether it be, um, you know, our help, you know, our attention, whatever it is we have to give. If we, you know, if we did, if we valued ourselves in, you know, using that bar rather than how much we have in the bank or do we drive a Mercedes and have a summer home and vacation in Europe or blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, all of those things are nice. But that doesn't make us good people, you know. Uh, my husband and I took Kabbalah classes uh, for a year and a half, and I sort of tolerated the patriarchal aspects of it because they did have some really interesting and important things to say. And one of the things I really liked about it was they taught everyone that, you sh- yes, you should try to achieve the most that you can achieve, and and um, and gather the most wealth you can, but you know what? It's not for you. It's to be able to give to others, because when you give to others and help others, whether it be money or time or experience, whatever it is, it doesn't always have to be money. I'm not just talking money. That is, they they teach that that's how you stay safe in the world, that that's how you achieve abundance and success and prosperity and joy and happiness, you know, that's your ticket, what you do for others. I mean, imagine if we all thought like that, you know, what, I mean, does that just blow your mind? Is that not a shift in consciousness rather than this this greed mentality we have? For me, it's fully expected that's what's going to happen. I live my entire life with that expectation. And I see it more and more every day when, I mean, I I used to hide from the news and the media and the TV shows. Um, I did that actually for about a year where I just didn't watch TV because, oh my goodness, did it ever depress me. But then I started running into all these amazing people who were doing incredible things in the world. And it really opened up my world to how much it was changing. And I found my way back to mass media and discovered that as my views of the world had changed, so had, had what mass media was producing. And it was, mm-hmm. it was eye-opening for me to see the changes on a large scale. And one, of, one of our favorite examples on the show this year has been Pope Francis. Some of the things mm-hmm. that he has done this year have been astounding absolutely mind-blowing and every time he does it we make sure we mention it on the show we talk about it and we celebrate it because i think that's what's needed i think we need to celebrate the changes that have occurred so that Mm -hmm. they'll continue to grow yeah 
Well, and, and just, you know, kind of a funny side note, you know, he's been doing so many wonderful things. Um, some of my friends and I will kid and we say, wow, we hope he's got a food tester. <laughs> you know, because, because, you know, he is going so against um, what, what his predecessors, you know, have done. And um, and I'm so glad he's he's talking out you know about the poor, and you know telling the religious right to give it a rest with all their social issue stuff. I just wish he would come round on the on the women's stuff, you know. He's he's lagging in that, but I will give him but, kudos. But as Rick and I often often explain you know this this planet that we live on she's a she's a pretty big ship and um Mm -hmm. and any major ocean liner that's that's trying to get from one continent to the other uses a a trim tab and uh, bucky talked about that often the trim tab effect where you little changes in course direction will eventually get you to have a monumental shift. And I think that's what we're witnessing. We're, we're bearing witness to the most astounding shift in human consciousness ever to occur on this planet. And it's not going to happen right. overnight. That would be devastating. It would be absolutely devastating for it to happen overnight because you'd have 8 billion people wake up the next day and go, what the heck happened? Yeah. So it has to yeah. be little incremental shifts. And, and you have to give the man credit in that he has focused and created changes slowly over the first course of his year on the golden throne, quote unquote, that have, yes, shaken the foundations perhaps a little bit of the church. And, and I'm sure he scared the crap out of a lot of, a lot of the big guys up there in the Papal mm-hmm. Palace. But at mm-hmm. the same time, he has not jumped out of the gate with this, you know, this is all wrong and we have to change everything now. He's allowing yeah. people to adjust to these new ideas. I think that his methods are absolutely brilliant. I think he started with the things that are going to get the public behind him, like starting with the poor, starting with mm-hmm. the abuse of the money within the church. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that as he goes on and as the support of the people grows, I think we're going to see a lot more from him. So I, I think what we need is patience. We need patience for that trim tab to make its adjustments. No, I think you're right. Yeah, because it, it yeah, it's like we are a big ocean liner. You know, it takes a long time exactly. for it to sort of, uh, to like you said, you know, shift course. And um, and we are seeing a shift course in some areas. You know, um, but you know, the people who have power in their hands, you know, the one percent, the, uh, the the dominators, the exploiters. You know, they're not going to give up easy. You know, um, they're not going to just roll over and play dead. And I, I think we are seeing probably a lot of that pushback. Um, you know, uh, this this new minimum wage thing that they're talking about. You know, so that people can earn a decent living wage rather than work a forty-hour week and then still need food stamps. You know, um, I, you know, I think that 
is he will definitely you know be a help to people but you better believe you know the people who have to sign the checks they're going to fight that tooth and nail you know even though statistics have shown that it's not really going to cost them any money or you know i think they said walmart might have to raise prices one percent what is one percent when all of these you know employees will have a better quality of life i mean it's a no-brainer but you know the people with the money and the power um they're not going to give up easily well no but that that kind of power too is, is a bit of an illusion really when you think about it isn't it the true power comes from within and as people begin to discover that and they have certainly begun to discover that with the help of people like pope francis and and thousands, countless of others on the planet who are doing the work that you do, that we do, that, that other others out there are doing, people are discovering that the power is coming from within. And those people who think they're in power are, are going to discover, quite to their dismay, I believe, that that power was an illusion and that it never really belonged to them in the first place. And that's the shocking truth of it. And once yeah. people tap into that, there's no stopping where they're going to take this world. And our future well, you know, is I, wide open. I talked to an astrologer on my show Wednesday night, and we were talking about astrology. And um, I said, you know, from what you can see, you know, the shifts that you can see coming ahead, the alignments and everything that are ahead, when do you think we're really going to see noticeable, I mean, like, you know, big change, not these little tinkering around the edges that we, you know, that we kind of see? She said she thought 14 years. 14 years from now, things will look significantly different. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, you know, I'm marking it on the calendar. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm just... Um... You know, and I, I don't know what the definition of significantly significantly different is, but looking out into the world today, um, having a Jesuit pope in power who's talking about equality and that if a gay man wants to be a gay man, who am I to judge? That to me is significantly different. I see yeah. it every single day, you know, where bullying is not tolerated in schools. The education system is changing. The the corporate structure. Um, we just did an interview with somebody who who talks about the talked about the benefits of meditation and and how that has long term effects on individual performance and their ability to concentrate and their ability to, to retain information. And now corporations are finally tapping into the powers of these ancient traditional truths. Uh-huh. Once the corporations jump on board, there's your, there's your monumental shift right there because once they start doing it, the truth of the matter is once the corporations jump on, the education system will follow because the education is set up to cater to the corporate needs. And that's just the way it is. If the corporations well, shift, the government's going to shift because the government is set up to cater to the corporate needs. So mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing it happen, and I'm, I'm just so happy and ecstatic to look out into the world and see these changes occurring. 
Right. Well, you know, I think when when the Koch brothers have an epiphany, <laughs> that's what I'll be having. Um, you know, Rianne Eisler, who a uh, wonderful woman. I mean, she it was her one of her books that really started me on this path called The Chalice and the Blade. And uh, she talks about caring economics, and um, she's actually, um, well, I've interviewed her a few times, and uh, she talks about, like I said, caring economics, and, the, and, and she's pointing out, you know, she, she holds up some of these companies, corporations, that actually get it, that when they care about their employees, it benefits their bottom line, you know, and... And, and, you know, that's part of her mission now, you know, to get that information to corporations. Because, I, you know, she, I, 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 so what I'm saying, I'm agreeing with you. You know, I'm agreeing with you. And, uh, I mean, it's substan- what you said substantiates what, she, what she's saying as well, you know. Um, you know, maybe when enough uh, corporations start to realize the benefit of these new ways of thinking, um, they will come along. I mean, in, in the Netherlands, for instance, uh, I forget whether it's Norway or Denmark. Um, one of you know, they're much more progressive in that part of Europe. Uh, they have something called the 40% solution. And after you've gotten your free education, because it's not like here in the states where you're, you know, when you graduate, you're in debt up the wazoo. You know, you get a free education there. Um, they've they've said to you know their to corporate Netherlands they've said okay we we want a return on our investment you have to have forty percent of women in the boardroom well you know patriarchy balked at first they didn't want to be told what to do but they had to obey the law they put forty percent of women in uh, in the corporate boardrooms five years later they found out they really benefited from having a new way of thinking and doing in the workplace. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, you know, sort of another example. You know, it's just these things have to all become the norm rather than these little exceptions, you know, around the world. Because it's wonderful that the Pope is, is using his position to, you know, to um, punctuate what Christianity is really about for a change. But, you know, we still have corporations who are going to fight the minimum wage. You well, know, it's got to be more than lip service. I, um, I, I see corporations now that uh, 20 years ago, nutrition, exercise, uh, child care, these things were not corporate priorities in the slightest. And, but they've discovered now that if they change their insurance policies to where they do cover preventative or, or wellness care visits uh, and, and encourage their people to exercise and have um, daycare on site so that moms know that in that, heaven forbid, circumstance, they can dash down there and be there in five minutes. And they, they saw, somebody showed them the benefit. It has to be done in a, you know, you've got to have a study in the committee. And, but somebody showed them the benefit, and now we, here we are. We have children that are graduating high school that have never known a time when there wasn't daycare and exercise at, at, right. at the place where their mom and dad worked. Um, right. And that's really fast. That's really fast. And, 
you know, some of these things, you know, coming along where they can actually show them a, a, a hardline benefit to bringing, uh, you know, mind, body, and spirit all together to the job. Um, mm-hmm. You can't, I always say, you, you, you can't give them just a little of that. They either get it or they don't. And yeah. uh, if they start people on that path, people will get it. Because people yeah. are getting it even without have anybody starting them, uh, you know, in, right. in larger and larger numbers every, every day. But particularly this guest that Gene was talking about that uh, is a, uh, you know, a 20, was a 20-year meditator when she started this program. And it, and, uh, but it's a multi-million dollar research program. It's, they're just doing their six-year follow-up with all these people. Uh, of a proper randomized controlled study of, of meditation and um, yeah um, you know so it is it's a very big monolithic sort of structure and, and it turns slowly but uh, uh, but I think that there's that enough of the turn has been made that it's really inexorable now well I hope so I'm I'm you know I remain optimistic you know I look for uh, I look for hope out there um, and, uh, you know, it would be great during these next 14 years if we see more and more and more and more of it so that maybe when we hit that 14-year mark, we'll go, gee, we're here. <laughs> I really think it's going it's to be a mind-blowing 14 years. And that's, that's the honest truth of it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, it, it, I, I think it's going to be fun, fun to watch. And that's... That's the best part for me. I look out into the world and I I get great enjoyment from seeing the changes out there. It just I, makes I'd me smile. There would, there would there would be nothing I like would love better than if you know if the majority of corporations out there would get on the bandwagon. But you know the the reality is right now in this the the economy the way it is. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic or cynical. I'm not. You know I've just read so many articles that the new normal now is lower-paying jobs, uh, part-time work. Um, you know, people don't, you know, make enough, uh, you know, at one job, so maybe they have to have two, and they don't have benefits. And corporations have figured out they can get by with fewer people, and that extra money that they're not putting out for employees is going to stockholders or it's going to the CEOs. I mean, CEOs are still making 350 times or more more than their employees. It used to be 50, you know. So there's still an incredible, I mean, while there are these, these you know, these wonderful bright spots, you know, I, I, I still think they're, they're, at least right now, they're the exception, you know, rather than the rule. And there's so many underemployed and unemployed people out there. And, you know, the corporations are predators. Um, a lot of them, not all of them, of course. You know, I mean, Leanne Eisler writes about a lot of good ones. I know, you know, uh, you know, there are a lot of good corporations out there, but I think they're in the minority, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, you know, we've lost so many union jobs, and Republicans are doing everything they can do uh, to do away with, uh, you know, the few unions we have left so that uh, there's no base to, uh, for, to organize for Democrats. Um, I mean, you hear that on, uh, you know, you hear that all the time, you know. I mean, it, the middle class was built by unions, and now we only have like maybe 10% unions anymore. 
I mean, it's all contributed to the demise of the middle class, and we still have a lot of work to do, I guess, is, is what I'm saying, you know, um, because these wonderful ideas you're talking about, you know, uh, most employers are not doing stuff like that yet. You know, they, you know, don't even want to give, you know, they don't want to give their employees anything, um, you know, not even a full-time job at a decent wage, you know, much less all of these other wonderful perks that, um you know, that that would really make it a great job. Well, I, I'm certainly I'm not I'm not certainly not saying we're we're it's everything is as it needs to be there oh, right no, now. No, I know, um I know. but I, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that there's no turning back. We're well on our way. Yeah, there's hope on and, yeah, there's hope on the horizon, you know, and, and, and these are these are great role models, you know. These are great role models that give us ideas what can happen in the workplace if you have, you know, open-minded, um, you know, open-minded CEOs that care, you know, that uh, realize they benefit from things like this. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Well, there we go. Haven't done it again. Another 90 minutes. <laughs> Brilliant. Right here. Man, I, rarely does time fly as fast as it does for me when we're on the radio. It just whoosh, and it's 90 minutes. Um, Where'd it go? Where'd it go? <laughs> I thought we just started. What do you mean it's break time? It's 10 minutes past break time, actually, but we're going to take it now. <laughs> we always tell people that. We're going to do the first half, and it's always longer than that. So we get going. Always. Uh, so we want to be sure that people... Uh, know where to find you and your book on the net. So uh, I suppose that uh, your primary website is uh, KarenTate.com? Yes, it is. Um, you know, actually, if you if you know that, you can find the rest. Um, uh, you know, my books are there, the new book, Goddess Calling, my radio show, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, um, you know, uh, where I'm giving talks, what, you know, Fem the Movie, uh, you can find everything right there at KarenTate.com. Beautiful. That makes it simple. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll of course, have links up to, uh, to the site and also to uh, a Facebook page for you, for you kiddos over at our website uh, at EverydayConnection.me. But uh, stop by KarenTate.com and check it out because she's got several other books and uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of really cool stuff going on. So check it out. And thank you both so much. It's been so much fun talking to you. I've really enjoyed myself. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and thank you for carving time out of your schedule to join us and, and sharing your time, talent, and treasure with the world. It's a real gift. We appreciate it. You're welcome. And uh, we hope you guys will join us again next time. But until then. To our mother, to each other, but especially to yourselves, stay connected. Have a great now, everybody. Join Jane and Rick again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and subscribe for news and updates. Stop by their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Everyday Connection and join the conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. 
Subscriptions are free, just like your everyday connection. a slow cooperative, bringing you the sounds of an awakening world. $2 six-piece chicken McNuggets are tender, juicy, made with 100% white meat and making a big splash on the one, two, three dollar menu. And for just a dollar, you can get any size soft drink, like a sweet tea, Hawaiian punch, or the one-of-a-kind flavor of a Dr. Pepper. So keep your favorites flowing right now at McDonald's, only on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared, and our price match guarantee. You can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. 